0: Hey, sis, from coast to coast, we're bridging the gap between the cisgender and transgender community, creating meaningful dialogue and space to learn and grow.
1: Join us as we connect with our community, break down tough conversations and get comfortable being better humans. Are you an avid summer reader? Is there a must read book out there for you or a precious past read which you recommend to friends as something that literally changed your life? But wait, there is a caveat. The book has to be an LGBTQ2 plus book. If you don't have any on your current list, whether you're cisgender, trans, straight, gay, or bi, we hope to inspire you this hour. I'm Sin. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm originally from treaty territory of Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and before then, the traditional territory of Haudenosaunee, Huron, and Owandat also known as Brampton, Ontario. I don't think I've ever shared that on the show before. I moved to the Maritimes in 2012 with my husband and three children. One of them is transgender, and I wholeheartedly attest that it was an LGBTQ fiction novel read in elementary school that altered his life and quite possibly saved
0: it. I'm Isaac. I use they, he pronouns, and I'm a queer trans social scientist. I reside in Nisahan Eskik, outside of the Tro area in Monkey. Do you know where in Monkey you live? And are you interested in learning the name of where you reside? Check out Mi'kmaqplacenames.ca. The link is in the show notes. So although I don't consider myself to be an avid reader, over the summer months, I do certainly appreciate some good quality queer romance novels, as well as the feeling and smell of a book in my hands. In this episode, we are flipping pages and seeing where our bookmarks are going to land this coming summer. And we have guest Abby Campbell to help narrate our queer summer reading list and chat with us about the importance of representation between the pages. Abby uses she, her pronouns and is a passionate and enthusiastic queer youth worker in Chibukduk. When she is at reading, playing tabletop role-playing games with her friends, or getting lost in a video game, you will most likely find her spending time with her girlfriend and their service dog, Oliver. Welcome to Haysus, Abby.
2: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: So diving into, we'll call this maybe chapter one, we'd love to hear maybe where you're from, where you call home, and also, most importantly for me, what kind of dog is Oliver?
2: <laughs> yes. So I am from just outside of the city uh, of Chibukduk, uh, also known as Halifax in Nova Scotia. Born here and raised here, and you know I plan to stay here for a very, very long time. So... Oliver, uh, his full name, Oliver Twist, his nickname, Aww. Ollie, his little baby name, Dippus, Mippus, Awi Dowie, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I <was on. laughs> yeah, I love it. He is a black lab, so just a purebred black lab. He's actually American, um, and he's been a part of my girlfriend's life for the past <laughs> three years now. And I've been very lucky to also have him in my life for the past two years and a bit. And yeah, I love him so much.
0: <laughs> mm. It's always the perks of uh, being with someone with a dog. Me and my husband, we got our dogs when we were together, but uh, he had a family dog, and I was like, "This is this is now my dog too." <laughs> yeah,
1: your house is full of dog hair, isn't it? Yes, you got the have... big fluffy dogs. I have
0: three dogs. Uh, two mm. of them are double coated, and are. <laughs> Very very fluffy.
1: Yeah, well, I have to chime in. I have a whippet, and um, he's <laughs> fabulous. And uh, it's like, is it uh, Santa's little helper in the Simpsons, or the? That's always the ugly dog. But they're they're great runners, and uh, yeah, and he came over with us from Ireland. So. Born in Waterford, up in I guess towards the where your doggies came from, Isaac. A little yeah, bit, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: All of our dogs are world travelers, my goodness. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah Look at that. <laughs> I love that Abby gave the the thumb little wave when you said the smell of books and that. Oh yeah, um, yes. yeah. Uh, we wanted to have you in because you're an avid um, graphic novel reader, uh, queer graphic novels, and you also do reviews. Is that right? You want to tell us a little bit about
2: that? Yeah. Um, So I read a lot of different books. I read a lot primarily just queer books in general uh, and definitely a lot of queer graphic novels. And I started reviewing books uh, back when I worked um, uh, at a local bookstore. And sometimes publishers would send books and say, hey, we need some uh, beta readers or ARC readers as um, abbreviated advanced reader copy ARC in order to get some feedback, to see how this book is going to do market-wise, if there needs to be more editing, if there has to be revising, that sort of stuff. I was one of the lucky people to actually uh, receive an arc of Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give. Um, and I was also able to meet Angie Thomas when uh, she came up here with Becky Albertelli and Julie Murphy, who are two other young adult uh, authors. And it was so cool to meet them and also to give feedback to their book, even like to their face and to hang out and talk about ketchup chips because they don't know what they were. (laughs) (laughs) So now I just continue to do that um, through kind of more of a online path rather than a physical, like I I will write down something and send it to you. I will type something down and send it to you uh, online. So I just continue to. Review uh, lots of different books. Primarily, those of my choosing are usually always queer books.
1: Why graphic novels, too? I'm just curious.
2: I find that the like avenue of graphic novels can be read by so many different people because it's accessible in a way that sometimes uh, regular fiction novels aren't, because it also gives a visual for folks who may have trouble with kind of the imagining what's happening in the book scene sort of process. It's one thing to read a description of something uh, on a page out of letters, but it's another thing to kind of get out of your, your space that you're actually in and kind of delve into this world that this author is bringing you into. And graphic novels help... I mean, me for sure, but they also help a lot of other people visualize the scene.
0: Yeah. And just jumping in there too, kind of to to uh, come back to what you were saying about like some folks leaning more towards um, graphic novels and then other folks leaning more towards, I don't want to use the word like stereotypical, like consumption of novels where it's just text, but it kind of reminds me of folks that are like really, really excited for like movie adaptations because- it's not that they don't want to do like the brain work, but sometimes, you know, you would just want to like see and be able to like watch everything unfold or be able to see what the author intended for characters to look like or for what scenes to look like. And I've met a couple of those people. And sometimes those are also the same people that are like graphic novels are for children or like, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't enjoy graphic novels. And I'm like, that's ridiculous because you love movies. Mm -hmm. And like, it's the same thing, just a different format. And a lot of times books can be a little bit more accessible for people because there's a lot of technology that has to go into watching a movie. It's an interesting format that a lot of people, especially adults don't consider. And I think now in, you know, 2023, I I find there's so many adult graphic novels coming out, which is really, really exciting. Yeah.
2: It's really nice to see that kind of like resurgence, I suppose, or maybe Mm -hmm. just kind of a, I don't know, increase we can say (laughs) in like graphic novels, not necessarily only targeted for children. Uh, I found working at a bookstore, I'd uh, get a lot of parents saying like, I'm trying to get my kid to start reading because they need it for school. And I think it's good for them. But they have such a hard time with traditional books. Do you have any recommendations, that kind of stuff. And usually when I first bring up graphic novels, they're like, Oh, no, I can't do comic books that that's not reading. And then instead of taking a very kind of offensive approach, it's more of a, oh, well, here's one that really spoke to me and it's actually really deep. And sometimes words escape us in a way that we can't really explain. And sometimes it's best to just even illustrate it or words don't explain what the illustration is saying in one panel of a graphic novel, for instance, on a page. And then the next page will elaborate on maybe what we're physically seeing on the page. There's... Definitely a graphic novel out there for everyone, I believe.
1: I love it. Well, you're, you've got a few books that you're going to take us through, and that's why we thought we would break down this podcast into chapters, because it is generally segmented, and so I thought maybe why don't we kick it off with uh, The Girl from the Sea by Molly Knox Ostrodog? that uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that graphic novel.
2: Absolutely. And I will quickly show it here. That's a nice cover, actually. It's gorgeous. And um, it is fully, like, color illustrated as well. Oh, I love that. uh, It's one of my prized possessions on my shelf. (laughs) (laughs) The Girl from the Sea by Molly uh, Knox Ostertag is a sapphic coming-of-age story about a young rural Nova Scotian girl named Morgan who kisses a selkie one night after being saved from drowning in the sea. And to kind of like sum up, like, ooh, would I like this sort of book? What's in it? What should I be expecting? Um, I've kind of written down a, uh, like, if you like this sort of stuff. So uh, if you like folklore, a story on learning to embrace who you are, the sea, cute little art Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the actual graphic novel format, adorable sea creatures, and a little bit of environmentalism. Uh, I think that this book would be for you, as well as if you are from Nova Scotia. uh, It's also just a fun read. You see some references from a few rural places. And it also mentions uh, Jabuktuk, also known as Halifax, uh, inside the book as well.
1: What if you just always wanted to know what it's like to kiss a selkie? I mean, Mm -hmm. is it dangerous? I mean, do they, like, what happens? What's it like? I guess
2: you'll have to read it to find out. (laughs) Yes, There was definitely a lot of care that went into why the author chose this setting, this place, and also the different folklore that uh, she put into it. A little back uh, story, I suppose, on the author. So Molly Knox Ostertag is uh, the wife of um, N.D. Stevenson, who is also the creator and producer and showrunner of the new shira um which is one of my favorite shows yeah (laughs) so they are a married uh couple they're wonderful together and they both have come to nova scotia over you know countless summers because they have family that lives here and uh i believe that they have moved away now but they still come back because they love coming up to Nova Scotia, even though they're American. So they have physically been in this space. They have explored the different cultural significance of, you know, typical Nova Scotian stuff, whether it's like the lobster traps that are everywhere, sometimes littered around rural Nova Scotia to, you know, some of the environmentalism uh, crises that we face here. There was a lot of care and thought and passion that went into making this graphic novel, which, it makes me so happy as not only a fan of these two partners together, but also as a queer girl from Nova Scotia. Like it's, it's a place that I know deep in my heart and it's also a identity that I feel and know also deep in my heart. And yeah. it's seeing this story. Uh, if I had uh. this when I was like their age, cause this is more of a kind of, I like to call it a middle grade. So I would say, know 10 to 14 maybe is the ideal but anyone can read it really
1: i think also trying to get into your head sometime of your kids and everything i like to actually read like ya and that sometimes
2: so you have me sold i will put that on my summer reading list yeah and
0: is a graphic novel like is it just a single novel or is it part of a series
2: in the genre in general it would depend so for The Girl from the Sea, it's just a one standalone.
0: One standalone. So yeah.
2: it's a it's a one and go. You're not going to have to buy more series for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. So we'll have to put that one on the list there. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: And I will like to mention, hopefully, that um, I have provided some content warnings on the books that I'm going to be mentioning, and I believe that they're going to be in the show notes. So before you pick them up, if you want to take a look at the content warnings. see if you're going to be all good and safe reading these books. Go for it.
0: Yeah. And maybe what we'll do just for ease of access and, uh, and accessibility, um, maybe we'll put everything into make maybe like a Google Doc so that folks can easily like control F if there's any sort of, you know, items that might be triggering for some folks um, that they can easily do that search. But yeah, so jumping in maybe to chapter two, I feel like I need okay. some like, I need a soundboard <laughs> okay. here. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. Sound effects. So going on to the next book and, you know, to try and link it afterwards, if possible, to the past, let's talk about why books like these are important. And, you know, why are we talking about queer novels? Why the emphasis on queer novels? Um, And then also to, you know, link it to history and what has happened in the past in terms of eliminating novels and unfortunately what's happening today.
2: Yeah, it's really... Disheartening and discouraging to even like just open up Twitter every morning. There's some sort of news that is rough to read. However, I think it's still important to know what is going on so that we can actively fight against it and combat it
0: saying it's unfortunate is very much of like a disservice of what is actually going on in the world but that's the best word that i can think of on the top of my head keeping things a little pg um yeah. but you said it even yourself just moments ago and and i definitely feel the same way as a trans person is that holy smokes i wish i had these stories when i was younger like when yes. i was younger i don't even know like i don't even think there was anything really that I could like relate to. And I mean, I was during these peak ages in like 2006, 2008, like that's not that long ago <laughs> other than like me reading stories. And I'm like, the authors know what they're doing. Those characters are definitely gay or like queer yeah. or whatever, but like, it wasn't, nothing was actually like written down. It's, it's incredible that suddenly, well, not so suddenly um, because this is, you know, folks have been pushing for more better representation, uh, in media and literature forever. Um, but now in recent years, because we are finally getting proper representation, we are also getting a lot of pushback, um, in the form of legislature and bills and laws and yay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God.
1: Yeah. I know. It's like one of those things that I know people that like know or have done like a workshop with me has heard me go on about the book uh, george which has now been renamed to melissa's story about a trans girl who was always melissa but the author had entitled it george originally um and just how like having a book like that gave language to a child who was grappling with these feelings did not make a child anything that they weren't already but validated them. Yeah. and um, I just I had a copy of this one which is actually similar to George, probably the same age range, but it's about a trans boy. it's called the other Boy by M G Hennessy. And, uh, mm-hmm. after my kiddo transitioned, um, I had found this book. I wanted to, they had hurt George, but I wanted to find one that had a trans boy in it. And, um, so I got it and I read it myself and then I gave it to him and I, I loved it so much because it was, you know, you just, you learn, learn so much from it. And I know it's just one story in that, but they, they really loved it and was surprised if there was a book
2: out there like that. Not a graphic it's, novel, but I always mm-hmm. say little side tangent. I always say, I don't care how folks read I care that you read mm-hmm. whether it's audiobooks, whether it's comic books graphic novels traditional reading whether you can only read quick little novellas or whether you're reading a children's picture book to a Webster's dictionary I don't care <laughs> how you read you are reading and I think that is wonderful and there's many different avenues to read that I, like, I even kind of count tv shows and movies and that kind of media almost as reading mm-hmm. uh just to make it kind of more accessible because i sort of think of reading more as storytelling or story consuming i suppose
1: hey sis is all about connecting communities and thanks to support from td bank group here is this episode's connected community moment
0: Now that you've heard some of our favorite queer reads, we want to hear from you. Is there a thrilling action novel with a lesbian protagonist that stole your heart? What about a collection of poetry and prose written by transgender artists? No matter what type of story it is, we want to know what's top of mind when you think of queer literature. Jump over to our Facebook and Instagram, follow us, subscribe to the Hayses podcast, and comment on our posts to let us know what your top picks are. At the end of June, we will randomly draw one winner to receive a $25 gift card to one of our favorite local queer bookstores, Venus Envy. And yes, they do ship worldwide. We can't wait to explore your faves. This has been a Hey and TD Bank Group Connected Communities moment because inclusion matters. So yeah, jumping back to chapter two as we're talking about the past, present, moving into the future. Uh, One of the novels you have to share with us today is a sci-fi with forbidden love and time travel. So maybe take us there with you.
2: Absolutely. I also have a physical copy of this book. So this is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El-Motar and Max Gladstone. So it's written by two authors. This is How You Lose the Time War. Okay, tell us about this book. Uh, so this is basically about two time-traveling agents from warring futures working their way through the past, and they begin to exchange letters, which is how the book is actually formatted. It's through writing like letters to one, back to the other to the, other, to the other, to the other. And they fall in love. So if you like a enemies to lovers, forbidden love, sapphic yearning, time travel, thinking about the innate pain and humiliation of desire, creative writing styles, and probably also crying because I did a lot of that, (laughs) (laughs) you will really like this book. I will say that it is definitely a adult book, not in the themes of what we traditionally think uh, as a adult book, but more in the themes of war. It's about, you know, time time travel in the sense of there's past wars, there's future wars, all that fun stuff. So I just want to give content warnings for this one because there's either mentioning, not a specific actual depicting, uh, of self harm, descriptions of, you know, bodies, dead bodies, some blood drinking, murder, <laughs> like some heavy stuff. Is it um, adult, Shannon?
1: adult graphic.
2: Yes. Yeah. It's and again it's told through writing letters back and forth to each other. So it's not as if you're getting a play-by-play of these things happening. Mm-hmm. It's more of a mentioning and I like to keep most of this plot very hidden or at least I don't talk too much about the plot cuz I find it's best to go in with very little to expect. An out open of it. mind. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, an open mind.
0: I just wanted to, to chime in too as well. Also, mostly as you get both of your thoughts, um, as you're talking about kind of different writing styles, and we chatted a bit about poetry and like the different types of literature hmm. that is, a, exists, but I don't know if maybe I'm the only person, probably not, but I love books that have like really creative, like pages like in terms of like textures I'm the person that was Mm -hmm. like obsessing with like the smells earlier so that's probably not Mm -hmm. a you know a surprise that I also like the textures but like that's why I love physical books so much so like I find often with the um like letter writing style I can't Mm. remember the book off the top of my head But it was, it was written in the style of also letters sending back and forth between individuals and how they had it written. Now, mind you, a lot of cases uh, for this in terms of accessibility, it's not the easiest to read, but just visually, it looked like someone actually handwriting notes. And then the leather, like the pages were kind of like worn Mm -hmm. out and like had almost like coffee stains and stuff on them. So it really felt like someone just, you know, binded together a bunch of letters um, so there's some really creative ways that people have like done that. Can
1: you show us a, just a quick peek inside this book and we can maybe describe it? Because I'm curious as to what it would look like as well.
2: Absolutely. Just making sure.
1: It's not a giveaway scene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a spoiler alert. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. this is
1: good. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay. Oh, there so... we
0: go. Yeah. So it's like standard pages and then it has your kind of stereotypical like sign off and signature and then like PS
2: yes and the mm. sign offs they change and they add like a deeper meaning to the context of the story yeah and it's very i don't know i guess it's, it's it's one it's a very unique story in the sense of like i mentioned in the if you like this thinking about like the innate pain and kind of humiliation of desire sometimes mm-hmm. And that's not, it's not a good nor bad thing. I wanted to include that to say, like, sometimes, like loving someone so much can, you know, feel humiliating sometimes because you're so head over heels, especially if it's like an enemies to lovers sort of forbidden love. Like, there's all these other contexts that make it so high risk Mm -hmm. and deep, I suppose you can say. It's very good. I really love it.
1: Oh, that sounds great. And um, yeah, I think, you know, was we were talking about before just about like the past and the present and the importance of the storytelling and the idea of like this being like, you're going back in time and, And it's uh, a a, well, a soon-to-be queer couple because they haven't met in the beginning. You know, just having these books out there is so important. Uh, As we were preparing to to record this, a news article had popped up uh, just like yesterday or the day before on the Washington Post about objection to sexual LGBTQ content propels spike in book challenges. And so, you know, when we look back to, I think I had mentioned to Isaac. It was like May 6, 1933. So 90 years ago was like the, that first, like the big book burning in Nazi Germany, which was targeted at LGBT books along with un-German books. But, you know, 90 years down the road and, you know, the headlines are, are scary, you know, they're kind of like, the more we change, the more we stay the same. And so mm-hmm. I do think that this, you know, surge in, LGBTQ2 plus, uh, fiction, nonfiction, graphic novels—all of that is so great. And you know, no matter how hard I think people try to try to ban it, it's not going to go away. It'll just—you know—it'll mm-hmm. make it. It'll make them more more sought after. Hopefully, um. yeah,
0: yeah. And it's it's definitely an experience that's being felt. You know, in particular in the United States right now. Um, I know. I think it was florida god love florida that uh there was a teacher that showed a movie that it didn't directly have a queer character but like there was a character with like a same-sex attraction or that was mentioned maybe briefly once i can't remember the movie name it was relatively new and now she is like facing jail time for showing a movie to like her class like just as like yeah. this is a rated g movie it's a disney movie i'm pretty sure Mm. or Pixar. I heard that
1: story. Yeah. And it's
0: just like, come on people.
1: Yeah. We're we're
0: really, you know, reaching well, that grass here
1: <laughs> yeah and it's happening right here in canada too like brandon manitoba yeah. new brunswick and then you know with drag queen story times i think there's one being organized in the valley and some of the comments on facebook are like it's a call to arms come out yeah. you know it's almost like grab your pitchforks people don't let um, don't let you know these lovely dressed beautiful queens come and read to children and make them happy and mm-hmm. you know it's just uh It's really, you know, and it's misinformation. I think it's people that are being so fueled by this sort of misinformation out there. If you maybe picked up a book or two and actually, you know, took a look at it first and had a read of it, you'd actually probably a lot of it would resonate with you, whether, you know, you're cisgender or whether you're queer. Just like before these kinds of books were out there, I imagine as a, you know, as a queer person, you could pick up a book and read it and still it could resonate with you, right? Mm You know, I think we find yeah. what we need from the stories that we read.
2: When I was younger, I read, and in, like in, in school, I read about countless characters that are straight and cis. And uh, I watched movies. It was the norm. It didn't, I, I wasn't being pressured into being straight or cis. No one's forcing me. It didn't, reading these sort of stories didn't make me a certain way. It's so yeah. weird when folks say like, oh, if we let children read about gay representation, it's going to turn them gay. Like, what? That's not how this Uh works.
1: No. And uh, as Emma actually from our office had said the other week, we were talking about this and she said, you know, like, look, it's shown from conversion therapy Mm. that you can't make somebody not gay. So you can't Mm -hmm. make somebody gay. Like, it's just, yeah. You know, I said it yesterday. I was doing a, a reading of The Pink Balloon, my children's inclusive school book to elementary school classes. And we were talking about, you know, how, you know, the innate ability to know if you're left handed or right handed how do you know mm-hmm. you just you just know and somebody mm-hmm. can force you and make you right right handed but it doesn't mean that you're right handed it doesn't yeah. mean it's comfortable it means that you can do it you can yeah. you know you can do it and get away with it so. well and even it's on slightly. that
0: same same train of thought too it, there's all that like data coming out being like there's so many like trans or queer people or whatever and then there's also there's a someone posted on twitter it was like there's the same parallels of that with like people now comfortably identifying that they're like left-handed and like because it used to be exactly that that you have to write with your right hand you have to do it that's the normal thing to do you know a very very minor comparison in the grand scheme of things but just to you know help connect the dots to folks who may not have thought of these things right like that's this is a normal conversation that we're having in today's world that people are able to be left-handed people are the way that they are let them live their life exactly yeah.
2: And there's not like one thing that made them left-handed, like, oh, it's yeah. a failure on my part. It's- <laughs> failed as oh, a parent. Oh no. no. <laughs> I should no. have eaten more
1: ice cream when I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Well, let's like let's dive into this memoir now. So we've had a sci-fi and now we've got a memoir graphic novel called Us yes. by Sarah Solar, And this one is not even out yet. So yeah, but you've had a sneak read of it
2: yes so the uh original language that it's in is spanish uh however the english translation is going to be coming out on july
1: 25th this summer so an august yes. read maybe tell us a little bit about uh about what you what you liked about it and, and about it
2: yeah so um again this is a uh graphic novel that is a memoir about sarah solar and sarah solar's uh solar's wife diana Uh, It's about their love story, um, and Sarah illustrates their shared past as a heteronormative couple and guides the reader through the ups and downs of coming out and accepting yourself. So for Sarah, it was finding out that she was bi. And for Diana, it was finding out that she's trans. And if you like realistic depictions of relationships, like the ups and downs, sometimes the hardships and the absolute funny little moments or the joy... Uh, If you love humor, if you love reading about characters who embrace who they are and who their loved ones are, if you love expressive art, if you love communication between characters, (laughs) uh, if you love nerdy things and also general shenanigans, I think you're going to absolutely adore this book. It is so full of heart and it is also very, like it knows about what time it's written in. Uh, as we were just talking about with everything happening across the world, especially in America, for instance, it also touches on like the world of graphic novel publishing and you know, is this story actually gonna take off the ground um, with all of these new restrictions that are happening? Is it better to stay safe rather than, be who you are. It mm. is a very fun book and a very important book as well. Because while it still has humor, it also has its truth hitting moments, and it, it's a very good balance. The uh, illustrator, uh, who is the, also the author, Sarah, um, she made the the colors of all the book different shades of the trans flag. So it's just oh, like that nice. little, like one of those little. In- ways of showing pride showing like this is the mm-hmm. essence of the book um and like embracing her wife in who she is and oh uh, it's so mm-hmm. good <laughs> I, love
0: that. I love that it's written from her own experiences
2: i think it'd be a whole other level
1: actually to kind of try and do a graphic novel to write it and then illustrate it because you're yeah. illustrating you're like that i yeah i i think that sounds fabulous and when when you Read it, Abby, then. It wasn't the Spanish copy, was it? Did you have an English copy? or had I the had Spanish? the
2: um, English translation. So okay. I, sent, mm-hmm. I read it and I was able to send feedback uh, of it. And it was a lot of positive feedback, honestly. And I'm very excited for the English translation to be released because I'm grabbing that so fast and I'm going to throw it at all my friends. <laughs> 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 Gently. Gently throw it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Birthdays, Christmas, any holidays this year, this is what you're getting from Abby. <laughs> a good <Yep>. gift. <laughs> I just
1: love that you put uh, general shenanigans in too, just because that word is in there. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I've got to pick that one up too. So you'll have to Lots remind me then when you're going to get your copy, I will come and get a copy with you. Is it a lot of pictures
2: with little words per page or is there like, what would be the balance of like pictures to words per page? There's a really good balance between the art, and also the lettering, I uh, I suppose I can say, because it's not like a generated text. It's the author like wrote out every word, but it is legible. It's not hard to read. It's like an accessible font almost. And there's also sometimes where the author will add like a certain emphasis to a word in an artistic way that, you know, it, it signifies the importance of it. And then they'll go on to maybe draw like, a very dramatic angry face of passion my head just went
1: to yes. batman and robin cartoons when they go pow bang. <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: yeah
0: Expressive, yeah. and that, yeah. that's like yeah. the background
2: that. of the traditional like comic and graphic novel industry coming out and like that just sh- shows the history and how you can even make it inclusive or make it your own and as you know mm. time evolves we do too, and stories evolve. I love it. So
1: let's let's go into the final chapter of your uh, your next wish list book. Um, you've done a high fantasy, A uh, Day of Fallen Night by Samantha Shannon. Let's hear about this one and why it's on your wish list.
2: Absolutely. So A Day of Fallen Night is actually very popular right now, especially in the sort of subcategory of uh, sapphic queer literature, especially on something called like Book Talk, which is just TikTok where folks talk about books. And this is a brick of a book, let me tell you.
0: Holy smokes. <laughs> I was going to yeah.
2: say, like, how many pages is that? Nearly 900 pages.
0: Woohoo. Wow.
2: Okay. So this book is the uh, standalone prequel to Samantha Shannon's uh, first book in this sort of world or series, which is A Priory of the Orange Tree.
0: Uh, which is oh. also a brick. <laughs> <laughs> Easy way to fill up but, a shelf then.
2: Oh, yes. Both of these side by side are just oh, They're stunning. stunning. Yeah, they're so really nice. So again, it's the standalone prequel to The Priory of the Orange Tree. And it's set just shy of five centuries before uh, The Priory of the Orange Tree and covers the period known as The Great Sorrow. Um, so if you like, again sapphic love. I read a lot of sapphic love. Intricate and immersive world building, and I mean that in every essence. The description and the art, the writing style, it is so immaculate, and it it just breeds life whenever you read it. It's so good. If you like queendoms, if you like diverse, strong, and emotionally complex women with swords, I think you'd like this book. And if you also like political theater and dragons, because Mm. dragons make everything better. Yes, it's true. It is true.
1: For listeners that maybe like when you're describing sapphic, do you want to just dive a little bit deeper if for somebody, you know, that maybe hasn't is not familiar with that description?
2: I like to describe sapphic as uh, it's another way to sort of saying like women love women or um, women who love non-binary folks. Uh, it's basically just a way to say that these women are in relationships that are primarily between two women or more fem presenting or one woman, one non-binary person, strictly just saying lesbian relationship. It kind of brings into the context that one of them could be bi and one of them could be lesbian or one, of, both of them could be bi or both of them could be pan or one or so on and so forth it's a way to describe more of a relationship rather than a specific identity
0: it's it kind of reminds me of like the bisexual versus pansexual thing like people Mm. are like helping to create new language to describe how people are feeling even though a lot of probably the definitions are very similar like for instance like a lot of people used to make the statement that, like, saying you're bisexual is transphobic, which isn't the case. And identifying as lesbian yeah. doesn't make you transphobic by any degree either. I love your description that, like, sapphic is just, like, a softer way of, like, describing it. And it helps create that more community essence, which is also kind of how I feel mm-hmm. about, like, being pansexual is that there's, like, another community with that.
2: It's definitely a something that is ever-evolving, as most language is. Um, As someone who identifies as a lesbian, I also embrace the term sapphic just because in some cases, it's easier to explain complex like gender identities that are still included in like my romantic and sexual attractions to folks. My girlfriend, for example, she uses she they pronouns, isn't necessarily non-binary, but also isn't isn't necessarily a binary woman. So I describe us as a sapphic relationship. I would also still describe us as a lesbian relationship. It, it could be difficult because of again you were saying like a lot of people have these preconceived notions that all lesbians are transphobic or all bi people are just blah blah. blah, blah yeah. which is not the case whatsoever. It's it's just stigma. It's yeah.
0: very Important for people to talk about though, because I think, like, as Sin said, I think a lot of folks have these questions that they hear these mm. words, or like, you know, if someone says this is a sapphic centered space, you know, mm. if I don't mm. necessarily identify with that, like, mm. is that still a space that works? I'm not talking about me directly, but precisely, you know, for individuals yes, who identifies mm-hmm. non binary. I mean, which mm-hmm. is myself, but for individuals mm-hmm. who identify as non binary, if they're like it's a sapphic centered space, like, is that a space? For me, what? is that where I should feel comfortable into each mm-hmm. their own, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's good mm-hmm. to have these conversations. And, um, you know, the first time I had met, I was at an event and there was, um, a couple there that was together, um, a lesbian couple and how they would self-describe and, um, when I was talking to them about gender identity and what we do and like the experiences and that, they were like, it was a light bulb moment too. They're like, Oh, we didn't really know about, you know, the trans experience, like in that, the gender identity and how, you know, but we never really asked about it. So, you know, even within community, there's still always opportunity to, to learn and grow. Yeah. And there's
0: still, you know, like, discrimination and such within the community or biases towards certain identities mm-hmm. or, you know, how people talk. Um, but the beauty of having not necessarily new language, but different language is that people are able to find what best represents themselves. You know, if we're making more words within the community, doesn't mean there's less community for other people. It just means that there's safer yes. spaces for people who need that. That, that is exactly. That'll be it. my quote of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. all you're getting. Yes. <laughs>
2: Good
1: stuff. Oh, well, I, I really, it. you know, I've enjoyed hearing about these books. And I think we're kind of we're probably getting short on on time to dive into Oops. your complete wish list. No, but we can why don't we we could run through the uh, some of your wish lists that might be, you know, might go on to other people's lists for the summer uh, as we're approaching yes. uh, into warmer weather shortly.
0: Yeah, and we'll also make sure to include the full wish list in uh, the Google Doc or wherever this uh, full wish list will live because I know I have some some additions too as well.
2: I will just mention the one book that I'm looking forward to reading over the summer. That is on like the tippy tippy top. I want to read it so soon. Um, it is a contemporary young adult novel called "Ander and Santi were are Here" by uh, Johnny Garza Villa, and. To describe it, it's kind of a um, Aristotle and Dante uh, meets The Hate You Give meets The Sun is Also Star. All of those are young adult uh, books, by the way. So this is like a stunning YA contemporary love story about a Mexican-American non-binary teen who falls in love with an undocumented Mexican bisexual boy. So if you like supportive family members, Latinx representation, urban art, there's lots of fun graffiti art moments, apparently. And I'm just... mm excited for it uh mm-hmm. good food there's lots of food description and character driven stories so not necessarily plot but more like focused on the characters you will love this book again content mornings are going to be in the show notes for this one
1: thank you that sounds great urban art and good food i'm like i'm there mm-hmm. yeah already sold <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well thank you so much abby for joining us today uh it's been super exciting and for me that you know it's hard to get me into a book, but every one that you've said here, I'm going to write down. I'm going to go out and search them.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. As I said, I don't necessarily identify as an avid reader, but some good queer novels. Love it. Love it. Need More lists like this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having
2: me. It was a blast.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. It was lovely learning, you know, about not only your personal experiences, but also, you know, your journey as a, reviewer or how would you identify yeah. like <laughs>
2: uh, just like book reviewer I suppose that's it's, it's yeah. like a little side gig that I don't I don't necessarily get paid I just get sent a book sometimes and then I review it yeah nice well you get
0: paid in the enjoyment of, of reading so there you go heck yeah but thank you so much Abby for for joining us today it was a real pleasure
1: The last episode of the season is will be coming up next in a few weeks and then we'll be breaking for the summer. So I don't know, maybe if any of you do pick up some of these books that Abby's recommended, we would love to hear from you in September on what you thought. That's
0: all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis. The conversation doesn't have to stop here, though. If you would like to get in touch with us to ask us a question or share your story on a future episode, you can email us at connect at simplygoodform.com or visit us on our website at www.hasis.com.